Welcome. This talk was recorded at Insight LA in Long Beach. Thank you for listening. For more information, please visit us at InsightLA.org. Hello and welcome, everybody. Yeah, again, uh, my name is Casey. I'm a uh, instructor for Inside LA. I like to say I am a student that happens to be teaching, and I'm less than the dust on the bottom of your sweet lotus feet, all my gurus. <laughs> uh, <clears throat> today we're going to be uh, just reviewing some of the saints of a Tibetan lineage. And in Tibetan Buddhism, and I think Buddhism in general, uh, it's emphasized to read about the saints, read about these enlightened beings from, from all religions. It's very inspiring to, to read and to learn about these sages. And one reason that it's so inspiring is because we get to see how they did it. We get to see that they're human, just like us. We get to see their obstacles. We get to see uh, how hard they worked for it, that it didn't come so easy. So it's very important when they say, if you go on a long retreat, you bring in the texts, then you bring in you know, photos of your teachers and whatnot, and you bring in biographies of the saints. These are the three things you really should have on hand. So if you reach an obstacle, you could always learn and, and be re-inspired. How many of you have read Autobiography of a Yogi? The spiritual classic from... You, you said you, you, you started it? It's a spiritual classic by Paramahansa Yogananda. And what's so... Why that book is just so fascinating and so fun is that he just accounts, he has these, so many accounts of these amazing yogis, and they're just, the stories are phenomenal. And um, I'm not that good of a storyteller. In fact, I'm a little nervous today because I usually just speak, but now I'm actually going to be talking about these saints, all these facts and whatnot. But um, anyway, that book is, is phenomenal because of that. Um, these, these amazing stories, and if you haven't read it, please do. It's really incredible. I saw the movie. You saw Awake? <laughs> the movie. The movie Awake? Oh, yes. yes. Yeah, yeah. Awesome, yeah. too. So Awake is about Yogananda, but what's cool about Autobiography of a Yogi is Yogananda writes about all the saints that he's met. Oh, yeah. It's on Netflix. Can I say something about that? There's something sure. in particular about that book I want to share real quick. Um, I had that book for, I don't know, 10 years. Yeah. And I opened it up and it just didn't speak to me, you know, and I put it away. But when I moved here, I brought it with me and, and then I finally gave it away because I wasn't reading it, you know. Mm -hmm. And then a year later, I go up north and I go to this bookstore and it literally falls off the shelf right in front of me. <laughs> and it was 10 bucks. I'm like, yeah, hey, 10 bucks, okay, you yeah, know. Yeah. So I get mm -hmm. it. And all of a sudden, that was like nectar to me. It's like every morning, I like got my tea, I lit a candle, and every page, it was just mm -hmm. like nectar. That's the best way I could say. Mm -hmm. So, you know, when it's time, it's time. And when it's not, it's not. And, yeah. you know, and it's an amazing book. It's an amazing read. Yeah. 
So we're going to be uh, speaking about Milarepa today, but as I was looking at Milarepa, who is a Tibetan Buddhist saint, I, I thought, well, you know, his lineage is, there's some really amazing characters in his lineage. So we're going to talk a little bit about, about his lineage. And Milarepa is from the Kagyu school of Tibetan Buddhism. There's four major schools in Tibetan Buddhism. And this is uh, the, the top of the lineage of the Kagyu school, which is what we call the meditation school of Tibetan Buddhism. There's more of an intellectual school. There's like a non-dual school. And this is more of the meditation school. And um, so the, the lineage starts with Talopa in the ninth century. Uh, and Talopa was uh, this great being. He was a king. And his teacher was um, Nargarjuna. And Nargarjuna was a Mahasiddha, which is a great siddha, a great realized being that, uh, that attained the cities um, in India. And you'll see that in Tibetan Buddhism, there's two lineages. There's two strands. One lineage is of the, the human lineage that, dates, that goes back all the way to Shakyamuni Buddha. And the other lineage is of the non-physical lineage, which also dates back all the way to the historical Buddha, but um, it's just in the non-physical. And the carriers of the non-physical lineage are usually uh, called Dakinis. Anyone ever heard of Dakinis? Uh, Dakinis are the feminine uh, entities, and they're the carriers of the lineages. And even though there's not a pronounced physical form of the feminine, they are very present um, in Tibetan Buddhism, they're carrying these lineages. And you'll see, as I speak about these beings, that a lot of the communication is coming from the Dakinis. And so actually the Dakinis will transfer entire sadhanas, entire practices to these beings. So, so Talopa was a king, but he left um, that role to, to practice the Dharma. And he meets um, Nagarjuna, and he receives the teachings. And <clears throat> after he receives the teachings, he goes into a cave to meditate. But he's worried that he's not going to meditate that very long. He's going to get discouraged and walk down and walk out. So he actually chains his legs together so he can't leave. And he ends up meditating like that for 12 years. And after 12 years, he gains some kind of realization, and the shackles fall off by themselves. And so now that he's out of the cave, he is approached by a Dakini. And actually, during those 12 years, he's visited by Dakinis who are teaching him throughout that time. And he's approached by another Dakini and says, the Dakini says, well, you've reached some realization, but you still have some pride left over from the time that you were a king. So she sends him to work for a prostitute. And so the prostitute <clears throat> has him pounding sesame seed to get the oil, to make sesame seed oil. And during this karmic purification of pounding the sesame seed oil, he attains a state of Vajradhara, which is he becomes fully enlightened. <clears throat> and he starts levitating, he starts drifting up into the sky. But he's still doing his work. He like doesn't realize it. He's just doing his work. But the villagers see that there's a floating being now just sitting in there in the sky, right? And the word gets out, like, come look at this. And 
the prostitute hears about this. So she runs to see who this saintly being is in the sky. And she looks, and it's, it's Talopa. And she's overcome with devotion because she you know, doesn't know that she's employing this great being. And so she sends out a thought, like, wow, I'd really love for you to become my teacher. And just receiving that information, Talopa manifests a flower and drops the flower from the sky. And it touches her. And when it does, she becomes fully realized. This is a very quick story of Talopa. And Talopa is the head. Uh, this is kind of where the Tibetan part of the lineage starts, even though that's, it's still in India so far. And so the next in the line of the lineage is someone you may be familiar with, Naropa. How many people have heard about the college Naropa, right? Our sweet Khaldun left us. We have a Sangha member here, Khaldun, and he's studying in Naropa, at Naropa in Colorado right now. So Naropa was a very sweet young child <clears throat> and was sent off to study the text at a very young age because he was just had this demeanor about him that was very sweet, very kind, very loving. So his parents sent him to study at a very young age. Naropa went to Nalanda. Nalanda is an ancient uh, Buddhist university that is the greatest in all the land. Nalanda was this prolific, amazing university of Buddhism that, uh, that uh, housed just these amazing arhats, these amazing beings. And Naropa was one of the best scholars of his time. Out of thousands and thousands of students, Naropa was, was held at the very, very highest. So one time he was studying, <clears throat> and he was visited by an old, ugly woman with one tooth, <laughs> as the texts say. And he was actually frightened by her. She just came in kind of unannounced. He didn't know what she was doing. They were just standing there. And he was trying to study. And so she, she looked at him and she says, Naropa, do you understand all of the teachings? And with great confidence, he said, I understand the meaning of every single word of every text. And she was overcome with joy. She was crying. She had so much joy that he had understood every word of the text. And then she looked at him and said, do you understand the inner meaning of the text? And being that his first answer elicited so much joy, he said, yes, I understand the inner meaning of all the texts. Hearing that, she fell to the floor and started to cry. She says, I can't believe you, Naropa, would lie. <laughs> she says, because I know you don't know the inner meaning of the text. He was just a scholar, even though he had studied for so long, he didn't know. And upon hearing that, he knew that he didn't know. And so he asked her, he said, do you know anyone in the land that does know? Because I'm here at Nalanda and nobody knows the inner meaning. Do you know anybody? And she says, I do, my brother, 
talopa. So just hearing the word talopa, hearing his name, he was overcome with great devotion and he knew, I must seek out talopa. So he left Nalanda to, to find his teacher. And in the process, he went through 12 <clears throat> life-threatening events. These are very famously told, these 12 events. They're very scary, involving wild animals, calamities, and whatnot. Very fearful. <clears throat> and he made it through all of those trials, and he came upon a village, and he would ask anywhere he went, do you know of a great Mahasiddha Talopa? And his villagers said, I don't know a Mahasiddha, but there's a fisherman down by the river that goes by the name Talopa. So he went there, and he saw Talopa fishing. And Talopa was very famous for transferring the consciousness of animals to the pure lands. So he would catch a fish and snap his fingers. And when he snapped his fingers, the consciousness of that being would go to a heavenly realm. So he saw him doing this. And he went to Talopa, and he told him who he was, and said he was looking for him, that he wanted to received the Dharma from him. And Talopa looked at him and he said, what are you doing here? You're a scholar. I'm not going to teach you. I'm going to teach you anything. And he was very depressed. And Talopa turned and walked away. And even though Talopa was walking, <coughs> it looked physically like he was just walking very slowly. He could not, he could not catch him. Naropa couldn't catch him. So he was running at full <coughs> speed. And Talopa was just walking. But Naropa couldn't, couldn't catch him. And it was the heat of the summer, and he was getting tired, more and more tired. He's parched, couldn't, you know, uh, didn't have any water. And he couldn't catch Talopa no matter what he did. So finally, Talopa stopped. And when he stopped, they were at the top of a very high cliff. And immediately, he told him, if you really want to learn the Dharma, and if you have faith in me, then you will jump off this cliff at once. And immediately, without hesitation, he jumped off the cliff. He said he broke like, every bone in his body when he did this. And Talopa came, and he looked at him. He said, are you in pain? <laughs> and he said, the pain is killing me. I'm in so much pain. <coughs> and actually, Naropa, it actually... Na, ro, pa, na is pain, ra, killing. Pa makes it a noun. That's actually his name. Pain is killing me. Yeah, actually, Autobiography Yogi, there's a, same, there's a similar story with Babaji. I don't know if it's in Autobiography Yogi or if it's another story, but Babaji has a similar story of, so this is not uncommon. They say, you know, it's the same thing. This devotee comes up, if you believe in me, jump off a cliff, the guy jumped off a cliff. So, Dalopa looks at him, and being of you know, this great sacrifice, he heals him. All the pain is taken away. All the bones are fused back together. <clears throat> so you think he would be good to go, right? You think purification complete, <laughs> devotion, all this stuff. They're walking, and Talopa looks at him. He says, you're not purified enough. That wasn't enough. And so very famously, Talopa takes off his sandals, his sandal, and he smacks him over the head. 
And when he smacks him over the head, he attains full enlightenment. It's a very famous story. So a lot of times we ask, teacher, can you please smack me over the head with your sandal? (laughs) So this is the trials and tribulations of Naropa. A lot of us in this lineage. Talopa, Naropa, Marpa, and then Milarepa. So we're getting to Milarepa. How are we doing on time? Okay. Marpa. Next in line of the lineage is Marpa. Marpa was born with this intense, even at a young age, this very intense presence. Actually, he was feared, and he was built very, very strong, too. So he's a very kind of a menacing presence. In fact... In his village, he wasn't even allowed in many people's homes because he was just so powerful, like just a powerful being. And his, and his father would have him go study with these different teachers, but he would learn so fast. And he was a master of languages. Like, and he would just learn so quickly that there were no more uh, teachers for him. So Marpa was from Tibet. And so this is actually the connection. This is when, when the lineage actually comes to Tibet. It's through Marpa. And so his father says, there are better scholars in Nepal. So you have to trek to Nepal. So this is, this is, the, tenth, this is, this is the 10th century here. So he's going from Tibet to Nepal. So this is a very, very dangerous trek. But he does it, and he survives, and he makes it to Nepal. When he gets to Nepal, they say, well, the best scholars are in India. The best scholar is Naropa, like if you, if you could make it to India. But at that time in India, if you made your way into India, there's all these different provinces, all these different states, and, and, and the customs were, like, as you move through customs, you had to give away all of your belongings. You had to keep it into that next or that former place that you wore. So just traveling through, he had to give away everything that he had. So by the time he got to where he needed to go and find Europa, he was almost, they say he was almost naked with nothing. So long story short, because his, his, his um, trek spanned 40 years. So he actually made this trek three times and he studied with Naropa. But the word translation, because they call him Marpa, the translator, translation meant not only did he translate into Tibetan all of these teachings that, that he received, but he actually, actually had to learn the innermost meaning. So he studied and he practiced for 40 years. And on the final trek, he was visited by Dakini. And he was old by that time, and they said, you know, you have to go back one last time. But he was old, and they, his, his students didn't want him to go because they thought, you're not going to make it. You're not going to make it, you know, there and back. There's no way. But he did. And he, he saw Naropa one last time, one last time, and that's when Naropa gave him the six yogas of Naropa, which are very famous. And this is where he learned Tumo. And maybe many of you, do you guys know what Tumo is? Tumo... Is, a, is the practice of inner heat. You've seen those videos of the Tibetans and they have 
They're sitting in the Himalayas and they got snow on them and they dip their robes in ice and they put them on and then steam mm -hmm. just mm -hmm. comes off of them. This is the practice of inner heat. This is how they stay warm up in the Himalayas, practicing. Mm -hmm. But it's also of the Kagyu lineage is one of the most important practices. And for Milarepa, this is, was his primary practice of enlightenment. So on his final journey, he learned the six yogas, including Tumo, and he brought that back to Tibet. And without Marpa, it would have never came to Tibet. This is, this is actually how it actually was transferred. This is quite amazing. OK, so now. At Milarepa. Why is Milarepa so famous, first of all, is because of his trials and tribulations he had to go through to, uh, to reach enlightenment. He was born into a wealthy family, and at seven years old, his father passed away. When his father passed away, he gave his money, estate, home, and whatnot into the control of his brother. So Milarepa's aunt and uncle took control of the estate. And of course, his father said, take care of my family. It was Milarepa, his wife, and Milarepa's sister. And when Milarepa was to come of age, the uncle was supposed to give him all of the earnings and give him back the home and the land and, and everything else. Instead of doing that, the aunt and uncle made Milarepa and his family servants. Gave them barely enough to eat, gave them barely enough to clothe themselves. So they went from this wealthy family to literally servants. And when Milarepa came of age, they said, all of the money has been spent. We have no money to give you, no land, nothing. You're out of everything. So. Throughout his entire life, from seven on, they just endured these great hardships, and they would be beaten by the aunt and uncle. All, very, very bad. So Milarepa's mother had had enough, and she was very, she was very uh, feeling a lot of anger. So she sent Milarepa to learn black magic. She had some money, so she sent him to learn black magic. And Milarepa was very, very good at this. He learned very quickly. And so learning this black magic, he came back, and there happened to be a family gathering of all the, aunt, the aunts and uncles and all their friends that you know, participated in. They all knew what was going on. And so Milarepa, using his black magic, made the house crumble. And it killed 35 people. 35 people died. And so Milarepa, even though this was the wishes of his mother, he felt great remorse. And he thought, you know, I'm definitely going to be born into a hell realm. But for doing this, this, this action, right? And so we thought, the only way that I could save myself from being born into a hell realm is if I achieve enlightenment in this life, and for my mother too, because she ordered that. So if I'm to save myself and my mother 
from this rebirth. I have to attain enlightenment in one lifetime. So I have to do it. He happened upon his teacher of black magic. And when he met him, the teacher said, you know, I have made money teaching black magic. And in this lifetime, I've done very well. But in the next lifetime, it's not going to be good because I have really bad karma. <laughs> he says, but I'm too old to practice. He said, but Milarepa, maybe, maybe you could practice and you could help me somehow purify my negative deeds. And Milarepa said, hey, I've been thinking the same thing. You know, I carried out that last thing you taught me and it's not going to go well for me either. <laughs> so I'm on board. He says, but the problem is, is that I don't know of any teacher. And so he asked the, the, the black magician, he says, do you know of a teacher? And he says, I do. And his name's Marpa. So Milarepa goes to find Marpa. And well, he actually finds some teacher in between. I won't really get into, but the teacher basically says, I know I can't, I can't teach you. You have to go really find Marpa himself. So he finds, he finds Marpa. And Marpa is a very powerful teacher. And one thing I didn't mention about Marpa is that he was very short-tempered. Not only was he, he was very menacing. He was very, he was a big guy. He was very powerful. He was short-tempered um, a menacing guy. And so he meets Milarepa. And Milarepa tells him everything that he did. Uh, and he says, I'll do, I'll do anything to learn the Dharma for you. He says, well, you know, you have some really incredible karma to work through. He says, for one, you know, I, Marpa, I spent 40 years going, collecting these teachings, traveled all the way from Tibet into India, brought them back, and I'm just going to teach you, who just killed 35 people, I'm going to teach you the Dharma? No. I'm not going to teach you the Dharma. No way. He said, but I'm going to let you build a house for my son. I'll let you do that. He <laughs> said, I'll do anything. I'll do anything. So Mar uh, Milarepa had to collect the stones from the earth, collect all the stones, and he began, began work on this home. So he gets about halfway through building this home, and the villagers say, you know, that's common land. That's not your land, Marpa. You can't build a home there. And Marpa says to Milarepa, you have to take it all down. And I want you to put every single stone back in its place where you mm -hmm. found it. So Milarepa is very distraught. He tears down the entire home, puts back every stone, and goes to Marpa saying, hey, I did everything. All the stones are back. Can I please receive the Dharma. He said, no way can we see the Dharma. Not even close. But I've talked to the villagers and they said that we could build a home now. So I wrote a new plan for a new home, a new design. I want you to collect the stones again and build the home. I'll do anything. I know I have a lot of karma to burn through. I'll go for it. He builds the house again. He's more than halfway through this time. And Marpa says, where are you going every day? Every day you leave. And you're going and doing this stuff. 
He says, what do you mean? I'm building your house. Every day I'm building the house. He says, I must have been drunk or something. I never even told you to build the house this time. <laughs> you have to take it down. We're not supposed to build on that land. Take the whole thing down and put all the stones back where you found them. Milarepa takes it all down, puts all the stones back, and he is just distraught. In fact, he's so distraught, he goes to Marpa's wife and just pleads, I, I, I need to learn the Dharma. I'm going to die before I learn the Dharma, and I cannot die like this. I need to learn the Dharma. I must re reach enlightenment. So she is so compassionate, she actually fakes Marpa's signature to Marpa's head student and, and, and says, you know, Marpa signed off on this. Can you teach Milarepa? And so, you know, they lie to get him to learn the Dharma. Of course, Marpa is omniscient and catches this and, uh, you know, says, no way, you know. But they were approved to build on the land. He says, I will let you build a nine-story home for my son. So Milarepa has no choice. He says, okay. But by this time, as he starts to put the stones in place and carrying the stones, his body is literally raw from carrying stones. So he is just covered, his entire body is covered in sores. Because he tried to carry on his head, he tried to carry on his back, Try to carry on his side, but the stones just rubbed him raw, right? But he continues. He builds a nine-story home, the whole thing. It's still there. It's a monastery now. It's in Nepal. And he finishes it. And he gets teachings. Very happy. So Milarepa gets the teachings, gets the Dharma, and then he goes and he meditates very famously for 12 years. He goes into multiple caves and he meditates and he survives on nettle tea. And this is why when you see pictures of Milarepa, he's green because he drank so much nettle tea that it turned his skin green. And he attains enlightenment in one lifetime. So I'd like to share these all at once because uh, we are so lazy. <laughs> Myself included. You know, I, you know, that actually tears me up thinking about it because there's this great teacher. Anam Tupton, he's like, that's an amazing teacher, amazing teacher. And I was working at Atlanta Medicine Buddha in Santa Cruz. And my friend who I was working with said, you know, there's this amazing lama, a Zaochen lama, and he is in the Bay Area, and you have to go see him. You have to go see him. He's just, just really amazing. And he's fairly new to the area, so he's only got a few students. So you have to come with me. And I was so spoiled because I was living at Atlanta Medicine Buddha, and there was teacher, amazing, Chodun Rinpoche, Lama Zopa Rinpoche, uh, all these amazing teachers would come right there. And we'd film them all day long, you know, 
Tendon Chogi, Vinval Rabina, all these amazing teachers. So I was so spoiled. And I never went over the hill into Berkeley to see Anam Tupton. And it took me six years, because I had moved away from that center, and it took me six years to see Anam Tupton. And if you ever seen Anam Tupton, I was just so overcome. As soon as he walked into the room, he just is just amazing. And just, the presence alone is just amazing. So hearing about this, like all the hardships, what they've done, and then how much you think, well, oh, that's Malarepa, he's a saint. That's Talopa, he's a saint. He spent 12 years in a cave, like Talopa with his legs shackled together, you know? And I'm thinking, oh, it's, oh, my, my cat's in the bed, <laughs> cuddly. Do I want to meditate today? Uh, you know, it's, right. right? It's like, do I want to meditate? It has to be absolutely perfect conditions, you know what I mean? <laughs> you know, just to get to the cushion in the morning, right? <laughs> and here is Marpa in the 10th century. I mean, how did he do it without frostbite and leaving the plateau of Tibet? To, where, no GPS, you know? <laughs> I mean, where was the map? Could you imagine at that time going, how did he ever get there, right? Three times, 40 years of practice, right? Yet it's very inspiring because it can be done. Milarepa, so incredible. I mean, 35 people, an intentional thing, you know? Murdered 35 people, and in one lifetime, in one single lifetime, overthrew it. So no matter what hardships that we have, no matter what we've done, we could find the state of peace. And they, they were mentioning, you know, you know, if you think, when you go down sit to meditate, you think about maybe somebody, you know, you said a wrong thing at, at work or something like this, and things aren't going so good. They, th- they say, think about sitting down to meditate after murdering 35 people. Mm-hmm. Think about looking at yourself after murdering 35 people. <laughs> you know? That that's not something fun to, to look at and to hang out with. But all of that can be overcome and we could find happiness. So very, very inspiring. You have just listened to a recording from Insight LA in Long Beach. For more information, please visit us at insightla.org.